Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Monday, April the 10th, 2023. On this edition of The Politocrat, fascism continues across the United States. And I will be explaining to you how, why, and who. Plus, a word of warning from none other than Joy Reid of MSNBC. I'll play the audio that you must hear from her and from others on fascism and the Republicans in the United States. All of that coming up next. Listen, friends, you need to hear me. And we will be getting to hear you, Joy Reid, coming up later on on this episode. Dear listener, welcome to this brand new edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Hope you had a very good weekend, wherever you may be across the world. Of course, there were a few religious holidays that took place. And I hope if you're someone who subscribes to a religion and are a practicing person in that regard, hope you enjoyed your weekend and hope that your holiday served you well. We are here on Bank Holiday Monday, as it would be in the United Kingdom, on Easter Monday, as it would be in the United Kingdom, and also for, I guess, the vast majority of us, just another day on the calendar. We're almost halfway through the month of April already. Would you believe it? Next week, we will be just around, or actually by the end of this week, we will be at the halfway point. You know, Saturday will be the 15th of April. Goodness gracious me. And then, of course, the following Monday, which is a Monday from today, a week from today, it's tax day in the United States. So if you've not yet done your taxes, you might just want to do them right now. Well, after you listen to this episode of the Politocrat Daily Podcast, I am Omar Moore. And as you already know, dear listener, you are a valued, respected and much appreciated listener. Thank you for continuing to listen to this podcast, the Politocrat Daily Podcast, with yours truly, and and for spreading the word about this podcast. Please spread the word about the Politocrat Daily Podcast to your friends, to your family, to people you feel might need to listen to this podcast. I would greatly appreciate it. And for those of you who have spread the word and continue to do so, thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate that. By the way, there is an online store. If you'd like to get some merchandise that ties into this podcast, in fact, merchandise that has all been designed by yours truly, please head to the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store at the-politocrat.myshopify.com. That's the-politocrat.myshopify.com. Would greatly appreciate that. Patronize the store. Really would appreciate you doing so. Lots of merchandise that I have designed, and there is more on the way. So thank you very much indeed for listening. You are invited to think differently here, and there is a lot to think about. And I hope that you bear with me on this episode, because, you know, there is a lot going on across the world. And I think there's a lot of distraction as well. I know there's a lot of distraction And we are constantly being distracted in this society. That's, I guess, the price you pay for having an automated and technological and social media society now. Everything is based on sound bites. 
Everything is based on clickbait. Everything is based on headlines. And nothing at all, it seems, is based on analysis and analyticals, except for sports and sports science. You get to hear about that a lot, right? The breakdown of sports statistics and home and away. How many games has a team won at home or a sports team won away from home? And when they don't have this person in their lineup, they're 16 and 7. And when they do have them in the lineup, they're maybe 3 and 12. Or maybe when they do have them in the lineup, they're 12 and 7. When they don't have them in the lineup, they're 1 and 4. You know, just these silly things that really don't mean a heck of a lot, even to the sports teams. But yet those things, those breakdowns and those analyticals are thrown at us every day. What is not thrown at us every day, dear listener, for example, is how many states allow abortion? How many states don't allow abortion? How many states allow you to use an abortion pill? How many states don't? How many states have gun control laws and how many don't? I think those kinds of things are much more important to you and to the society at large here inside the United States than whether or not a sports athlete who is in a lineup happens to be on the winning side more often than that athlete is not in that lineup and his or her or their team happens to be more often losing games. I mean, that particular thing is irrelevant doesn't matter to me. And I'm a big sports junkie. Doesn't matter to you either, right? That someone is in the lineup and then the team that they're in might be the team that you root for somehow is 16 and three. And then when they're not in the lineup, the team that you root for is what? Four and 10. I don't know what that means. It means absolutely nothing. I don't think that you really should spend a lot of time worrying about all that, except you, if, even if you're an avid sports fan as I am. But what you should be worrying about is the number of states that allow for abortion pills to be used. You should be worried about the number of states that are allowing assault weapons to be carried around in their states. Because that affects you. That doesn't just affect you only. It affects the entire society that you live in. The entire country that you live in. So those things are much more useful to us in our everyday, dear listener, than is some useless statistic about an athlete who happens to be in a team and how much that team wins with the athlete and how much it doesn't win without him. These things don't make sense. And yet those are the things that are thrown at us every day. Even things like how many likes and retweets. Yeah, it makes someone's profile look good, perhaps, and their tweets seem profound. But a lot of the times, these so-called profound tweets are not at all. And it's only because of the numbers, 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 that somehow it seems like something really profound. And it's not. It might be something downright stupid. Recently, case in point. Somebody like Lil Nas X, who tweeted out some ignorant bullcrap that I castigated when he talked about, oh, where are the gays at in Africa? Where are the gays be in Africa? As if Africa is a freaking country, it's a blooming continent. You know, I want to go there. Where are the gays at? Yeah. You know, so just some ignorant stuff. And that got thousands and thousands of retweets. 
But when I say go out there and vote and you must vote and spread the word to your friends and educate them on voting and tell them why they must vote and tell them what it entails to vote, that doesn't get any retweets. That might get one retweet. Now, granted, I don't have the 8 million followers that Lil Nas X does. But my message, I guarantee you, is far more impactful and important than Lil Nas X's bullcrap about, well, where the gays at? And so where the gays be in Africa, I want to be there. Numbskull bullcrap, right? And it's offensive and it's stupid and it's ignorant from Lil Nas X. But more people will see that stupid tweet than my tweet, for example, about the need to get out there and vote and why you must. Educating you on what you need to do. That's where we need to be, dear listener. That's the kind of information that is important. Not some foolishness that doesn't nourish you, doesn't inform you, doesn't educate you. It might titillate you and it might get you talking and chirping on social media, but you can't do anything with that bullcrappy tweet that Lil Nas X tweeted a few weeks back. You can't do a damn thing with that tweet. But with my tweet, you can do a whole heck of a lot. You know what you can do? You can educate someone else. You can educate a, fra- a family member, a friend, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a partner. You can then spread that word by doing your own podcast and doing research and then calling your county clerk or calling your secretary of state or calling your local voting area, your voting precinct. You have an impact that way. So we have to, first of all, stop being seduced by this headline culture, this culture that gives no context, no nuance, this, con- this culture that gives us sound bites every two seconds, tweets 200 and 40 characters or 280 characters. And no analytical thinking, no critical thinking, none. That's the word that I want to say here to start this episode off. When I come back, I've got some audio for you and I've got a quote that I want to read out. I think I'll read the quote first. I'll figure it out and you'll find out which comes first right after this. Unprecedented ruling by a Texas judge that could further restrict abortion access. Yeah, the judge deciding, uh, issuing this decision to suspend the FDA approval of an abortion pill that's been in use for more than two decades. But right away, another judge in Washington state issued a separate ruling ordering the FDA to keep the drug available. ABC's Zorin Shaw is in L.A. to begin our team coverage on what this all could mean. Zorin, good morning. Gio, when we think of abortion, we often think of a type of surgery. But according to the CDC, more than half of all abortions rely on medication. And this ruling in Texas could dramatically change that. This morning, a major ruling from a Texas federal judge halting the FDA's approval of Mifepristone, the first of two drugs given to abort a pregnancy in the first trimester. The judge says in the ruling that the FDA's more than 20-year approval is a violation of federal law around accelerated approval for certain drugs. 
And overnight, a federal judge in Washington state issuing a ruling protecting access to the abortion drug, preventing the FDA from altering the status quo and rights as it relates to the availability of mifepristone. The dueling opinions creating uncertainty about access to the key abortion drug. The Justice Department has appealed the Texas ruling, and that means all eyes are now on the Fifth Circuit, which happens to be the country's most conservative appeals court. We're advocating against our direct abortions, intentional abortions. Seeing the reversal of Roe was a great triumph, um, but was very much phase one in our movement. The FDA has approved mifepristone for the last 23 years. How is it that one person, one judge, with no medical degree, no science degree, can make a decision about a drug that has been used, that has been safe and proven effective. Women have the right to have abortions and you can't turn the rights around. It's not okay. The future of the abortion drug will then likely rest in the hands of the Supreme Court. Critics say this decision will likely go beyond abortion. They believe it could motivate conservatives to challenge other FDA-approved drugs and vaccines. So another example is HIV medications. And it could also discourage companies from even investing time and resources into products that could become political targets in court. With All right, Zareen, thank you. And overnight, the Biden administration promising to fight the decision with the Justice Department filing an appeal to the Texas ruling. ABC's Elizabeth Schulze has the latest reaction from the White House. Elizabeth, good morning. Good morning, Whit. The White House is vowing to fight to preserve Americans' access to the abortion pill. Officials here have been holding internal discussions for weeks, bracing for this decision from the federal judge in Texas. As the Justice Department appeals the ruling, Democrats are attacking the judge as a Trump appointee with a long history of anti-abortion activism. In a statement overnight, President Biden said this does not just affect women in Texas. If it stands, it would prevent women in every state from accessing the medication, adding it is the next big step toward the national ban on abortion that Republican elected officials have vowed to make law in America. Vice President Harris, who's been spearheading the administration's abortion rights push, warned that this ruling sets a dangerous precedent, undermining the FDA's ability to approve drugs based on science, not politics. But the political reality here is complicated. Without congressional action, it is not clear what steps the Biden administration can take to preserve abortion access. The president is again calling for Congress to take steps to restore Roe versus Wade, an effort to do that already failed last year. And that was before Republicans took control of the House. Wit. So let's talk more about those next steps. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you. And bring in our senior Washington reporter, Devin Dwyer, who covers the courts for us. So Devin, what are the implications of these rulings going forward? The implications are significant with, they are sweeping. If this stands, as you heard Zoreen uh, report there, it would apply nationwide, even in states where abortion is legal. And that could mean a dramatic reduction into the most commonly used form of abortion in this country, which is medication. In fact, we took a look, 40% of abortion clinics in this country only offer abortion pills. So a lot on the line. We should say for at least the next seven days, the FDA approval and use of this drug will stand. It's status quo 
but this is expected to rocket through the court system. These two competing rulings we've been talking about, one striking down FDA approval of Mifepristone, the other one ordering it to keep the status quo, is all but guarantees that the Supreme Court will have to get involved. There's no clear timeline for that yet. It's also not clear how these justices might vote on this issue. The key question, question which we're going to be watching, is will they allow use of Mifepristone to continue as they sort this out. We just don't know right yeah, now. That is the big question, Devin. Thank you. Well, dear listener, we do know the answer to this big question. It's going to be seven more days from last Friday that this decision will be stayed. So, in other words, the report you just heard from Good Morning America, which would have been Good Morning America this past Saturday, April the 8th, 2023, Referring to the federal district court ruling in Texas of Friday, April the 7th, 2023, is going to be held to not be in force and effect until the 14th of April. That would be next Friday, coming this Friday. So, Mifeprestone will be available, or Mifepristone, pardon me, will be available over the counter uh, for women across this country through Friday, April the 7th. And at that point, April the 14th, and at that point, it will no longer be available according to that ruling. So there are some competing considerations here, of course, because as you heard in the report, dear listener, the court in Washington state if I remember correctly, was the court that said, no, you know, the FDA must be allowed to continue to approve this drug for use. So this is what is going on. If the FDA is not available or allowed to approve, specifically allowed to approve the drug, then the drug cannot be sold. Simple as. The federal, the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, if they don't have the approval, they cannot, or you know, allow this drug to be sold without FDA approval and the judges ordering the FDA to take it off the market, which is, as as you heard one of the women in that report say, this is a judge, he's got no medical expertise or anything like that, and yet he's making a decision for every woman across the country, and this is very dangerous. This is known as judicial activism. You know, the conservatives and these fascists on the Republican side love to talk about Judicial activism, whenever it's a so-called liberal judge, but they are very, very silent when a Republican, a far right-wing Republican, does exactly the same thing that they accuse the Democratic judges of doing. And this was absolutely a judicial activist decision. 67-page decision, by the way. 67 pages. It was a Friday night news dump. When everyone was getting ready for the holiday because it was Good Friday this past Friday. And so, you know, when, you know, we remember if you're a religious person, if you're Christian, you remember the significance of Good Friday. And so this is how this Republican judge celebrates Good Friday by dumping this decision on you that really is the decision that outlaws the FDA from approving this drug. Matthew Kasmarek, who is a right-winger, he's an anti-abortionist, he's an anti-abortion activist, you can go look up his history, 
And he is a judge that was appointed by the piece of garbage, twice impeached, and now indicted and arrested. And what happened, the reason why this judge even got to this position, dear listener, was because Mitch McConnell held open all of the federal judge seats that President Obama wanted to fill. And Mitch McConnell would not do his Article 1 due diligence duties and thus kept Obama from filling all of those seats. Must have been close to 200 plus seats. The piece of garbage gets in and of course Mitch McConnell goes, oh yes, this is a good idea, let's fill these seats. And so the piece of garbage gets to put all these ultra right-wingers and these 23-year-olds essentially who don't have any experience as judges into positions of federal judge power. And now you have one of them being Matthew Kaczmarek, who is not even 40, I don't think. And boom, he gets to decide for you, dear listener, that you can't take Mifepristone. And that's a real problem, a huge problem. So this decision will be stayed until the Friday of this week, the 14th. And at that point, there's probably going to be appeals if there haven't already been appeals by President Biden's administration and everyone else affected. And so this may not even take effect after the 14th. It just depends on what goes on with the courts. And this is going to go, as I think that report you just heard alluded to, to the Supreme Court. There's no way this doesn't go there. And you know what the Supreme Court's going to rule. You heard the reporter at the end there saying, oh, well, you know, We don't really know how the court's going to rule. Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We know how the Supreme Court of this country is going to rule on this situation with Mifepristone. You know exactly how they're going to rule. They're going to rule that the FDA should not allow that drug and cannot approve of it. That's what they're going to say. Now, I could be wrong, but this is a six to three conservative, extreme conservative court. And I cannot see a court that outlawed Roe versus Wade last year and said that Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization is the law of the land is suddenly now going to say, oh, well, yeah, Mifepristone cannot, um, will be sold. I don't see it. I just don't see it. Now, I could be wrong and we'll see. But dear listener, here's what's going on. And I want to provide some background and context for you beyond what Mitch McConnell did blocking Obama's federal court appointments for the last two years of Obama's second term. This is about fascism. This is about control. This is about white male control and dominance. In fact, to say that it's the Republicans doing it, and it is indeed them, doesn't really go deep enough. This is about fascism. And fascism is at the top of this. And fascism has consumed the Republican Party for the last 60 years at least. And I think we have to go even beyond Democrats, Republicans, Republicans, Democrats. We have to go to this place I'm about to go to now. And that is fascism attacking all of us here in the United States. That's what this is. And that's what this is about Whether it is this particular abortion ruling for the abortion pill, where over, as you heard in the report, 54% of the abortions that took place in the United States in the year 2020 were done courtesy of abortion pills, 
abortion medication, whether it be the banning in Texas, essentially, of all drop boxes in college campuses and universities, thereby preventing young people from voting, because they know damn well young people today are voting mostly for Democrats. Whether it is the genital inspection law that was passed last week in Kansas, how filthy and disgusting. Whether it be the proliferation of guns and no permits required, and that passes through plain sailing. Whether it's the expulsion of two black male legislators in Tennessee. I can go on and on and on, whether it's the Georgia and whether it's the Texas law and other states that are controlled by Republicans that allows for six weeks, a six week ban on abortion. Most people don't know that they're pregnant until maybe the eighth or ninth or even tenth week. I can go on and on and on. Idaho, same situation with Idaho where... There's a law that's been passed that restricts underaged women from going out of state for an abortion. Yeah, true story. It's extremely restrictive. This is all about fascism. Yes, it's the Republicans, clearly. And the way to deal with this is definitely vote them out. What I am adding to that is realizing that this isn't even about R versus D. This is about democracy versus non-democracy. That's what this is. Democracy championed by the Democrats versus non-democracy championed by these Republican pieces of garbage. That's what this is about. And that's how the politicians who are running for office this year and next in 2024 must be framing this and should be framing this because that's the frame. It's absolutely about fascism and power, and control, and dominance. And these abortion laws and rules are all about dominance and controlling women and their choices and their bodily autonomy, and it's disgusting. And we all have to speak up and out against it, and we all have work to do. So I want to paint a framework and I also want to get into the books again, the banning of books. That's all a part of this fascism and it's extremely dangerous. So I'm going to get to that as well. But I do want to continue to lay the groundwork here. And I'm going to maybe play an audio bit or two. Joy Reid is coming up a bit later. I'll be playing you a must hear audio clip from a video that she did recently. And you've got to listen to this. Really do. I will continue, and I'll do that right after this. Welcome back. Dear listener, I have um, some contextual framework to lay out here. There's a number of things I want to get to on this episode on this Monday. Hope you're well. I, I have to say this. And I alluded to it, I think, before the break. The issue and how we should be thinking about it here in the United States is not just a matter of Republicans against so-called against Democrats. 
it's not just a matter of that. It's not just a matter of Republicans trying to defeat Democrats. It's about fascism against us all. That's what it is. It's about fascism consuming one political party, the Republican Party, and trying to attack every last one of us, except rich white men who are straight. And I think that's a way to think about this that's better than just couching it in terms of a political party, because although it's definite, it is true that it's the Republican Party that's doing this. I think the forces of fascism are even bigger than that. This is fascism. And it has to be tackled that way. And it has to be said and exposed and defeated. It's that simple. And the way that we defeat fascism in the United States or anywhere else is by voting, is by voting in every election possible. Whether it's local, whether it's state, whether it's federal, we have to do that. And we have to vote every time. We have to get everyone that we know out to vote. And we have to explain to them why. Why it is important that they vote. And I think one of the keys to explaining this is to say to someone, either in your family, your friend circle, or whomever, what is it that you care about? What is it that you care about? What are you interested in? What kinds of things do you care about in the world? Hopefully you'll have someone who does care about at least one thing in the world beside themselves. But what I'm trying to get at here is it's easy for us to say vote. Heck, I do it all the time. And I say vote, vote, vote. But you also have to be aware that there is a cross-section of people in this country, here in the United States, who don't vote at all and who have the most pessimistic outlook about voting, have given up on it, have never tried it before, have been cynical enough, and I thought I was cynical, cynical enough to believe that voting doesn't really help anything. And that's not true. It couldn't be further from the truth. You have been socialized, I think, in this country, we have, to believe that voting doesn't make a difference, but it clearly does. We've seen it over and over and over and over and over again, how voting is a massive, massive thing. It makes a difference. If it was not a big deal, you wouldn't have Republicans looking at what they're doing. You wouldn't have Republicans banning, you know, water from being passed out at voting places. You wouldn't have all these anti-voting laws being passed in states controlled by Republicans all over the country. You wouldn't have any of that. You wouldn't have all these voter ID laws that make it really hard for people to vote. You wouldn't have Texas legislatures saying, oh, no, you know, we won't have any drop boxes on college campuses. I mean, if voting really didn't count for anything, why would the Republicans be busy passing hundreds of laws across this country designed to make it harder for you to vote? Riddle me that, Batman. Well, while you're figuring out that riddle, I am going to explain to you about educating someone and how to approach someone who is completely hopeless about voting and hopeless meaning they don't believe in it. And as I said earlier, when you approach someone, ask them what they care about in the world. 
What is it that they care about? Name an issue that you care about. If they don't have an issue that they care about, ask them what kind of things do they like to do on a daily basis? What kind of hobbies do they have? And they're going to give you some idea. They're going to give you something. They're going to give you something. Whether it's they like listening to music, and it's not a hobby, it's something that you do to pass the time, perhaps. But whatever the answer is, there is something that will present itself and you can easily explain why you need to vote. Why you need to vote. Whether it's, oh, music, I'm interested in music. Well, did you know that the labels on music came about as a result of this and this and this and activists doing this and that and the other and did you know i mean and then you have to start explaining to people what that entails and what it means and why voting is connected to it if someone says well you know i want to make sure that i'm eating healthy food well you can cue in about the food industry and the fda and agriculture and farming and talk about how there are farmers who have been you know deprived of the kinds of things they need for their food to be able to be grown i mean you can do any kind of thing you can tie it to politics you can just even if you don't do that you can simply tell people that hey politics in your life is everything everything that you do is political everything the hat on your head and where that was made, that's, a, that's based on politics. Why is that hat made in China and not necessarily in the United States? That's based on politics. Every single thing that we do in our lives is based on politics. Oh, student debt. Well, if someone says that to you, you can make a pretty simple one there. Well, did you know that the president of the United States had a plan to... Forgive ten to fifteen thousand dollars of student loan debt, and the Republican courts absolutely stifled President Biden's plan, and has ruled it to be unconstitutional, and therefore you now have to pay your student debt that would have been suspended. At least fifteen thousand dollars of it, perhaps, would have been suspended. And now you get their attention. So my whole point, dear listener, is you can provide a number of different examples to people who don't think that voting counts for anything. And you need to explain to them that you need to vote in people who would lower your student debt. This is how you engage people. You know, you have to really understand who the people are you're talking to and you have to first speak to them. So that you care about them, so that they know that you care, so that if you say to them, vote, 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 that's a slogan. I mean, I listen, I've got it on a t-shirt that I designed at the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. But my point, dear listener, is this. You have to talk to people, not talk at them. And when you talk to them, you then engage with them. You listen to them. You hear what they're saying. And once you listen to what they say, you can then say, okay, well, did you know this? Did you know that? And by the way, this is how voting is important because you can control your say or a politician's say on something if you vote these people in that you want to vote in. And you can pass that on to friends of yours who may not vote. 
And that's how you start the conversation. You really do have to have a conversation with people when you're talking about the importance of voting. You have to listen to them and then you have to suggest things. Then you have to listen to them and then you may suggest something. You know, this is how it goes. You have to have conversations with people. And you have to make sure that you persuade people that the time to get ready to vote is now, not next year. You don't want to start coming to people in August or September of 2024. That's too late. This is the time now. We're in April and the groundwork has to be laid now. Organizers are going into people's neighborhoods now. I mean, into people's, um, you know, where people are now. The Democratic Party, on the other hand, they're going to wait until September or October of next year to get in touch with you. That's way too late. Way too late. You need to be on the ground now, building relationships, forging partnerships. You know, that's how it goes. This is how you prep people to vote. So even though they may not have an election in some states this year, prepping people to vote now is a very good thing so that people are already ahead of the curve, ahead of the game. That's how you do this. So that's how you really educate people on voting. As far as um, I go here with this, it's very, very important to do it the way it should be done. And that is to talk to people because we love to sloganeer in the United States. But sometimes, a lot of times, we don't employ the substance and the critical thinking that's needed. And we don't do the engagement part, which is the part where you're listening to people or talking to people. They're talking to you. You're listening to them. They're listening to you. It's a conversation. It's an interaction. It's all very important. So this is what um, we have to do. This is what we have to do. Now, there are going to be people who are going to be resistant. There are going to be people who aren't going to want to hear it. They've made up their minds, and I get it. You just have to leave them alone, right? They're violently opposed to voting. Oh, I'm not doing it. All right, well, let them leave them alone. You just tell them that someone else will be doing your voting for you. And it might not be people that you want to do it for you because they're going to be voting for something that you may not like. And if you don't vote, you've lost your voice not once but twice because A, you've silenced yourself and B, they've silenced you when they vote and you don't. So you're silencing yourself twice. Now, if you tell them that and they're still upset, then you just got to move on. If you tell them that and they begin to say, wait, wait, what do you mean? Or they just have this kind of glazed look or they may be hmm, okay, tell me more, then you engage them. You're never going to get 100% uniformity on anything. And that's just the way it goes. So, you know, that's how I would prescribe talking to people who you may want to educate, but perhaps may be saying to you, well, I'm not interested in voting. And you can only try to engage people over one or two minutes. After that, they are done. They tune out or they just want to move on with their day or they're very busy or whatever it is. But you've got to be succinct because people don't have all day. People's attention spans in this country, the United States, are very short indeed. So maybe you've got 30 seconds with someone before they walk away, maybe even 15. People just aren't in the mood these days to stop and talk. And I don't blame them because you get some strange people coming up to you. But when it comes to voting... You have to engage people. It's that simple. Black Voters Matter engages people every day. Fair Fight Action does the same thing. And numerous other organizations, Until Freedom, all of these organizations are very much involved in all these lines of work, particularly voting and registering people to vote. And people have to be registered to vote now. Do not wait till next year. We have to be ahead of the game and proactive. And that is where it's at.
Fascism is here. It's been here. And we have to continue to organize against it, mobilize against it. And we're going to need coalitions. We're really going to need coalitions from all kinds of backgrounds to make sure this gets done. When I come back, I'll be talking about another news story from last year, almost a year ago, that you may not be aware of. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. We're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Welcome back. So I do have to give you these two stories that you've got to hear. One of them is a story I've talked about before, but I've never really gone into detail on. It's from reformaustin.org, Reform Austin, as in Austin, Texas, by Dave Manning, the article written December 2nd, 2022. The title, Why Were 75% of Texas Voters Under 30 Missing from the Midterms Totals? Question mark. Well, it's a good question. Let me read to you, dear listener, just a few sentences from... The article by Dave Manning. Only 25% of young registered voters cast their ballots in Texas this year, a precipitous drop from the 50% that voted in the 2020 presidential election. But almost 35% of the same group voted four years ago in the 2018 midterm election, according to a post-election report by Derek Ryan, an Austin-based GOP strategist and data analyst. 75% of 18 to 25, 29-year-olds stayed home this year, Ryan told the Houston Chronicle. Meanwhile, nearly five times as many voters aged 50 and up voted. The election was won by older voters. So those are just a few sentences from Dave Manning's December 2nd, 2022 story entitled, Why... Were 75% of Texas voters under 30 missing from the midterms totals? Well, I'll tell you why I think some of them were. I think there's definite voter suppression going on. We know that's obvious. We know that in Texas, and I've talked about this, there's, an, there's a ballot now, an initiative now, that I guess will be signed into law at some point soon to eliminate ballot boxes, drop boxes, specifically drop boxes from every college campus in the state of Texas, every college and university. And that's specifically designed to target voters under 30, obviously young voters. So this is what's going on, dear listener. I think that's part of it. 
Another part of this, obviously, is apathy from some young people, and also among some young people, the feeling that voting may not count. Now, that's not true of everyone because there are lots of young people who do vote. But in Texas, Texas has got a very young population, relatively speaking. And so there's a lot of voter suppression there. I definitely think that factors in. But there also has to be a lot more galvanizing of the youth vote. Now, the Democratic Party, it's not their job to do that. It's not the job of the Republican Party to do that either, for that matter. They're trying to strategize. The Democratic Party are strategizing. The Republican Party are strategizing where to spend money, what to do with the money, where it goes, where the candidate goes or doesn't go, all the rest of it. And the job of mobilizing voters isn't necessarily the Democratic Party's job, but it is the activist's job. It is the grassroots organization's job. It is Fair Fight's job. It is Black Voters Matter's job, Voter Latino's job. These are the people, the grassroots people who are out there on the ground every day trying to get people to vote, trying to register people to vote. And again, you can't start this next year. You've got to do it now. It's April of 2023. Now is the time to plant those seeds and build those relationships and to get young people out to vote. You know, you have to persuade them. As I talked about, you have to persuade people to vote. Persuading and educating are the two biggest things in all of this. And mobilizing and organizing are the other two biggest things. So there we go. So that's that story. Very important story. Young people have to get motivated and energized, but you have to help play a part in motivating and energizing them. Because as you heard in the snippet of the article I read out, you got voters over 50 who are deciding these elections because they vote in every damn election. The older population definitely makes sure it votes. It votes. And young people have to have that kind of mindset as well. Now, the other article I have to read to you, I'm not going to read it in its entirety, but I need to read you this so you get an idea of what fascism is really doing to the United States. Now, it's been here for a long time, fascism. Let's let's not act as if that's not true. It is true. I need to read this headline to you, dear listener. This is from NBC News. This is from almost a year ago. I mean, this is really something that will blow your mind. Almost a year ago now, April the 26th, 2022. So we're what, roughly two weeks short, just, just a bit more than two weeks short of a full year that this story was published. April the 26th, 2022 by Elliot Ramos. Here's the headline. Are you seated? I'll give you a moment to sit down if you're not seated. Right. Let me read this headline to you. This is in the United States of America. Okay. Not some dictatorship somewhere, but the United States of America. This is an NBC News. Listen to this headline. More than half of states have banned books as anti-LGBTQ and anti-race education laws spread. Here's the subtitle, dear listener. School districts in 26 states have banned more than 1,000 books in the past nine months. Let that sink in for a moment. I'm going to read you a portion of this story by Elliot Ramos. 
School districts in 26 states have banned or opened investigations into more than 1,100 books, according to an April report from Penn America, a literary and free expression advocacy organization that compiled data on such bans from July 2021 to March 2022. Penn America counted actions that led to the removal or restriction of previously accessible books for at least a day and found that Florida, Pennsylvania, and Texas lead the country in bans. The three states have had more than 1,300 instances of book bans, or 87% of the country's roughly 1,500 banning incidents. So Florida, Pennsylvania, and Texas, dear listener, lead the country in banning books. Pennsylvania, for God's sakes. Now, Pennsylvania is a politically weird state anyway, so... But it, it went Democratic the last election, net general, and it went um, that way, I think, the previous election. No, it didn't. It went um, the Republican way, the previous general election. But here's the thing, presidential election. Here's the thing. 87% of the book bans in the United States were in these three states. It's incredible. And there's a map underneath this, uh, the article, the portion of the article I read. And it has a map of all the places where books are banned. More than two dozen states have banned books in the past nine months. I mean, this is crazy. I'm going to read to you every state and the number of books that they have banned. Now, this is according to Penn America. Let me read this to you. This is just crazy. Listen to this. Here's the number of book ban incidents over the course of the last nine months. And that's basically from July the twin, July 2021 through March of 2022. That's the nine-month period that uh, is being talked about here. Now, in that time frame, Texas banned 713 books, 713. Pennsylvania was a distant second with 456 book bans. Four, five, six. Then came Florida, third, with 204 book bans. Then Oklahoma, 43 book bans. Kansas, 30 book bans. Indiana, 18 book bans. Tennessee, 16. Virginia, 16. Missouri, 15. Georgia, 13. New York State, 12 book bans. I'm surprised by that. Utah, 11. I'm surprised by that, too, because I would have thought Utah would have been a lot higher. North Carolina, six book bans. Washington State, five. Wisconsin, five. Illinois, Iowa, and Ohio, all on four. New Jersey, three. Michigan, two. And I'm surprised by that. Alaska, one. Arkansas, Maryland, Minnesota, Rhode Island, and South Carolina, all with one. I really would love to know which books they banned, but all I can tell you right now, here are some of the banned books, according to Elliot Ramos, one of them is Gender Queer, a memoir, a non-binary author's autobiography by Maya Kababi, The Handmaid's Tale, 
a book by Margaret Atwood. I talked about that book just yesterday or maybe even earlier in this episode, dear listener. Where a totalitarian society subjugates women and under my hijab, an illustrated children's book by Hina Khan about women wearing traditional headscarves. Bands also included titles from long-established authors like Toni Morrison, whose books Beloved and the Bluest Bluest Eye, The Bluest Eye, were pulled from shelves in Florida, Georgia, and Kansas. Oh my God. Give me a freaking break. It's just ridiculous. According to PEN America, 41% of the bands are tied to directors from state officials. Uh, Yeah, state officials. You mean Republican state officials, don't you? Or elected lawmakers to investigate or remove books. This includes some bannings that resulted from an incident in October in which a Republican state lawmaker in Texas sent a list of 850 books to school districts asking them to investigate material that might make students feel discomfort. Oh, please. Which students? Are you talking white students? Discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress because of their race or sex. I mean, this is just garbage. So that article is a quite an eye-opener. That one from Elliot Ramos of NBC News. The headline again, more than half of states have banned books as anti-LGBTQ and anti-race education laws spread. Let me read that headline again. More than half of states in the United States have banned books as anti-LGBTQ, pardon me, and anti-race education laws spread. I mean, this is... And the headline after it, the subtitle is school districts in 26 states have banned more than 1,000 books in the past nine months. I mean, this is just really frightening. This is what fascism is. We're going to just ban books. You can't read them. I mean, we're already in that era. And I think we're so numb to it, some of us. And it's like, for some people, maybe it's, I'll go back to sleep now. Yeah, right. I mean, you better not close your eyes. This is ridiculous. really is. This is what we're talking about here. It's what I'm talking about. I talked about the book bans before, a few weeks back in an episode. And you're seeing this now again. This is just disgusting. Four days after he had been expelled from the Tennessee House of Representatives, that was the sound of cheers for one uh, representative, Justin Jones, who is now reinstated as a member of the Tennessee House of Representatives. He was reinstated today, and that was the cheering from the gallery as he walked in, accompanied by uh, Gloria Johnson, the white female progressive who has, as I said, um fought the good fight here. She has uh, been steadfast. Um, she's a progressive, true progressive. And um, I think she's doing some good things. Look, I, I, I do regard this as the Tennessee two because it was just the two brothers who were expelled. She, being a white female, was not expelled. 
And even though she had a committee assignments stripped, she had them reinstated today. And the bottom line here is, is that this was an absolute disgrace by these fascists. These Republicans are fascist dumpster fire. And these folks are going to reap what they sow here. When these elections come up, you have now galvanized. And I talked about young people not voting, but you have now galvanized a whole generation of voters, not only in Tennessee, but I think across the country, if I may be so bold to predict that. Because there's no way that you get away with this when everybody sees what you are doing. Even those sirens out there are blaring in agreement with me, dear listener, because and because and because truth crushed to earth shall rise again. And Justin Jones should never have been expelled. It was great to see him coming with his right fist in the air to the gallery, really triumphant. And that legislature, those people, those white Republicans who sat there and voted to oust him, now just have to sit there and take it. And I just love that. There's video of this online as well. I've retweeted this as well on my Twitter account, at the popcorn, R-E-E-L. And Gloria Johnson's just walking him in. It's just terrific. It's terrific. Um, this, the, this is the coalition you're going to have to need. You're going to need in this country. You are going to need, because black folk, look, we are very clear on voting. We are very clear. We vote in robust numbers. 95% in these general elections, especially, if not more, black women and 97%. Black men around 93%, 92%. But the bottom line is, is that black people vote in large numbers when they turn out to vote. Because there have been instances where some black folk haven't. And certainly that was true in 2016 with Hillary Clinton, where... There were a number of black people who were very cool to Hillary Clinton. So anyway, the bottom line here is that we need a coalition and you're going to have to, because black folk are very clear about this, you're going to have to get a coalition. Now, white people are going to have to get involved in this and they're going to have to start voting for the things that are good for everyone, not just for themselves. And what we saw in Tennessee this last few days, and particularly today, is a vastly majority white group of people who believe in justice, who believe in the rule of law, and who believe in the fact that Justin Jones should still have his seat. And there's hundreds and thousands, if you look at some of the videos and photos, there are hundreds and even thousands of people, the vast majority of whom are white, they're in Tennessee protesting and chanting the name of Justin Jones. There were even signs that said, no Justin, no peace. I just thought that was really great. Whoever did that, that was great stuff. Really was. But we're going to have to get coalitions together to knock these Republicans out of office, really. And it's going to take that kind of sustained coalition building. And I think the white progressives who really are truly progressives and are anti-racist, not the white progressives who act like they are, oh, holier than thou, but they're racist as F, will have to start really chipping in and doing the work. And Gloria Johnson is doing that. She is doing that. Now, again, I, I kind of look askance when I see that it's only two black men who are expelled initially. And yet the white woman stays, you know, I, I know what that's about, obviously. 
So I still call it the Tennessee two, but I can say that Gloria Johnson certainly has, has fought the good fight. And, you know, you don't see this very often. You don't see these kinds of coalitions. And this has got to be something that sparks and galvanizes the country. It truly must. So that was the news. The uh, city council, the uh, Nashville Metro Council voted to reinstate Justin Jones to his seat. 36 to 0. That was the unanimous vote. Now, what will happen is, is that Justin Jones will stay in office for the time being until the special election, which is probably going to be held sometime in the summer, comes along and then he will run for re-election. So that's how it will work. And the bottom line now is um, once Justin Jones wins re-election, because he's clearly going to, he will then be a permanent member, at least for for the time being, obviously, for the term. He will be, he'll probably have a new four-year term or a new year, two-year term. He will be a part of that apparatus, facing off against the very people who voted him out, including the Speaker of the House in Tennessee, Cameron Saxton, who is a Klansman. Let's be honest. Let's face up to that because that's the truth. But there was nothing more sweet on Monday than seeing Justin Jones walking right back into the same, on the same legislative floor that expelled him just four days ago. I just thought that was terrific stuff. Uh, it was really well done. So anyway, that's that. I wanted to mention that. Also, there was a shooting today in Kentucky. Four people killed at a bank. Really horrible situation there. And, um, you know, I, we have to, it underscores the fact that we need to ban these weapons and ban these rifles and all these things because you don't need that stuff um, in terms of the United States. You just don't. And it's become way out of hand now. And it's absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. When I come back, a message from Joy Reid of MSNBC. As you, I think, may never have heard her before. Thank you all so much for being here. I think, I hope, I believe, and I pray that today marks a step toward real democracy in this state. I hope that we send a clear message to my colleagues or my former or soon-to-be colleagues uh, in the legislature that we will not allow these attacks on our democracy to happen in the country of silence. Sexton. Uh -huh. 
that was just a portion of a speech that Representative Justin Jones gave outside a courthouse in Tennessee earlier today, following his reinstatement to the Tennessee House of Representatives just four days after he had been expelled. And I would say unlawfully and unjustly, certainly unjustly expelled from that same legislature. And so that was a speech he gave earlier today in front of activist supporters and people who were out making it very clear that this was an unjust expulsion. And look, there's lots of people. There were thousands, hundreds and hundreds. I want to emphasize this again, as I mentioned it earlier. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, mostly white in Tennessee. And Tennessee is about, I think, 60 percent or so, um, 60, 65 percent white. But the fact of the matter is you have had a lot of white people who are in support of this brother and uh, showing you that they really care about these issues and that Justin Jones represents 78,000 people in the in his district. And so he will, as I said earlier, he, he is reinstated. He will run for a special election at some point in the next few months, I guess. But I will follow up with you on that story. And I just wanted to make sure you got to hear a little bit from the man himself, Representative Justin Jones. And by the way, I do want to emphasize, in case I didn't mention it earlier, that the other expelled black legislator, the other Justin, Justin Pearson, will also, I think, will be reinstated. Look for him to be reinstated on Wednesday of this week. He's, there's going to be a vote in the same uh, Nashville Metro Council. And so, obviously, if they have reinstated Justin Jones, expect them to reinstate Justin Pearson as well. So, I'll be following up with you on that coming up later this week. And I just wanted to play you that clip. So, it's important that this movement continue. We are seeing a new human rights movement in the United States. Every every few decades we see this and we all have to join it. And it's very important that we do, that we all get involved. It cannot only be the young generation, this generation. It's got to be all of us. And everyone can do something. It doesn't mean that we all have to be out on the street and protesting. I think protesting is a good thing. Nonviolent, peaceful protest is a very good thing. We all have a role to play. You know, I hear people who are of an older generation, such as my own or generations prior to my own, saying, well, I've already done that. You know, I marched, I fought the good fight. The fight's never over for any of us. As long as we have breath in our bodies, the fight isn't over. We all can do something. We all can contribute something. And that's my point. As I say, we don't all have to protest. There are all kinds of things we can do. We can call legislators. We can get in touch with local officials. We can actually form organizations. We can join organizations. We can do so. We can volunteer. We can do so many different things. So the fight really is not over for any of us. And I mean, this is about not just future generations, but it's about where we are now. It's about everything. And so we all have a role to play and we all can do something.
What I want to do now, dear listener, is play you a seven and a half minute audio. You're going to hear this. It's from Joy Reid. Now, Joy Reid went to TikTok in the last few days. I forget what her name, what her handle is on TikTok. I don't use TikTok, will never use TikTok, have no desire to use TikTok. You may be, dear listener, someone who does use TikTok. And Joy Reid, of course, you know her from MSNBC, um, uses TikTok and she's on there. Um, and I only know this because I saw this clip that I'm going to play the audio to on social media. That's the only reason I know she's on TikTok. And what you need to be aware of, and again, MSNBC, I don't really watch MSNBC or any of these corporate news media entities, but Joy Reid's someone who has, over the last few years, certainly the last couple of years, has certainly um, spoken out and spoken up about issues. And when Tiffany Cross, the uh, then NB, MSNBC uh, broadcaster and uh, commentator and host of a show, was fired on the spot, summarily dismissed by MSNBC last November at the behest of a racist named Tucker Carlson. Joy Reid, as far as I know, was the only person to speak up on air about it. Now, she said that she supports her sister Tiffany Cross, and that's really as far as it went, but at least she genuflected and acknowledged Tiffany Cross post-firing. So Joy Reid went to TikTok over the last few days, and I don't remember exactly when this was, and she talked about the things that I've just been talking about throughout this episode, about how these, well, look, let me just let Joy Reid speak for herself. Listen, friends, you need to hear me. The Republican Party at this stage in its development is at war with the rest of us. They're at war with women. And women, if you think they're going to stop with just outlawing the abortion pill, you got another thing coming. When they're done getting a national ban on abortion, which is what they're going for, they're coming for your birth control. And when they're done with that, they're going to move on to LGBTQ rights. They're coming for gay marriage. Don't think that you, if you're LGBTQ, but you're rich and affluent and Republican, that you're safe because they're coming for your rights too. They're coming for all non-white immigration because look, if they can force American women to give birth, who needs immigration? They'll just replenish the impoverished, desperate workforce with poor people. They force American women and girls, little girls, teenage girls, and younger to make. They're coming for workers' rights because once they have their population of low-wage workers, why give them any rights? Why give them the right to unionize? Why give them any rights at all? Give them low wages and then give them nothing else. They're coming for education because the last thing you want is an educated workforce are educated people who know history and know enough about history to see what they're doing. They're coming for your books. They're coming for black history. They're coming for Holocaust history. They're coming for the history of all non-white people and they're going to erase it from our schools. 
And one thing that they will never do is protect a single child from getting slaughtered in school because their only true worship is guns. They're gonna allow as many assault weapons to flood our society and our schools as the gun manufacturers wanna put out there. And then they're gonna demand that all of the people who they control, whether they give birth, who they control, whether they can vote, who they control, whether they can marry, whether they can see a drag show or perform in one, they're gonna force every single one of those people to subject themselves to constant risk of death. Getting shot down at school, at the Walmart, at the top supermarket, at the mall, at a parade, at a concert, walking down the street, third grade, fourth grade, 12th grade, they don't give a damn how many people die. They're coming for black power. You think they're gonna stop with what they did in Tennessee? Florida Republicans are already studying that and saying we can do the same thing. You think they're gonna stop by just evicting troublemaking black lawmakers in one state? Anyone who displeases them is on the menu. So if you don't comply, they'll just throw you out of your state house. They want one party state. They're coming for our literal freedom, our freedom of movement. This law that says that in Idaho, you can't leave your state to get abortion care. Well, I mean, what will it matter now once they make the pill illegal everywhere? They're coming for blue states. They don't care if you live in a state where you have liberal government and where you have a liberal population. They sure don't care about that in Nashville. They want every state to comply. They want to turn every state into their white Christian nationalist hell that they control. And then they're going to curtail your voting rights so you can't undo it. If we don't wake up and now I want to really talk with my white sisters. Because you all are still voting 60-40 for them. You're still letting them control you and your body in states like Texas. In states like Tennessee. In states like Florida. Your daughters aren't so much. Because young white folk, they done figured it out they're now voting majority Democratic because they understand when they vote that the only solution to the extremism of the modern day Republican Party is for them to lose. If they don't start losing elections, and I mean everywhere from dog catcher to state house to state senate to school board to Congress to the presidency, until they lose all of it, and they are stripped of power, they are never going to moderate. But if they lose, if you are a Republican and you care about your party, the only solution to their extremism is for them to lose. When they lose enough elections and they lose enough power and they lose control of enough states, they will moderate. And then we will have two normal political parties again. And I'm not saying this because the Democrats are outstanding or perfect, but they're normal. 
and they don't want total control over your womb and they're willing to protect you from gun violence and gun death and gun massacres. So all I have to say is this, especially my young folks, you need to register to vote and you need to vote in every election, off year, on year, local, state, national, all of them. And you need to vote them all out, even the nice ones. You think, you know, this is a Republican, I like them, they seem nice, vote them out. Because until that party begins to lose on an epic scale, they can't moderate because they are captive to a base that is so extreme, that is so Christian nationalist, that they can't be fixed until they lose. The Republican Party is at war with the rest of us. The Republican Party is at war with the rest of us. They have embraced white Christian nationalism and extremism. And the only way to fix it is they got to lose. It's DEFCON 1, y'all. We damn near in Gilead. Wake up. Wake up, take action, and stay woke. So, dear listener, Joy Reid there, and I think a terrific bit of video. You heard the audio to it, and what she's saying is all true. This is what the Republicans are doing. This is the fascism. This is happening. And you have to wake up like she says. Like she just said, you have to wake up. This is not a dream. This is actually happening. And this is what cycles of history are. Every era, there's going to be a challenge and we have to be able to meet it and defeat it. It cannot be left to young generations. And it has to be organized. It has to be absolutely proactive. Proactive. The planning has to begin now for 2024 because if you just hew to the news cycle, you will forget the two Justins, the Tennessee two. You'll forget them by the end of this month. And you have to remember, like Justin Jones said there, the representative, it's not about him alone. It's not about him. It's about your, you, your voice. I'm trying to say you and your voice at the same time. It's about you and it's about your voice. And it's about the people that Justin Jones represents, those 78,000 people. And you see what the Republicans are doing all over the country. I'm going to play you a clip after I sign off. On a, I'm going to play you a clip from a news story that happened over the last couple of days, over the weekend, I believe it was. You need to hear that clip. After I sign off here, I'm going to play you the clip. You'll hear it. And it connects with what Joy Reid was, was saying in that audio. And it connects with what Justin Jones and what I've said, what many people have said. These Republicans are playing for keeps. Their power is dwindling. And what they want to do now, because the population is absolutely skewed against them. They're not going to vote Republican. Young people mostly now are voting Democratic overwhelmingly. You've got more black people in the country. There's more black people. There's a report I told you about last week where in Boston there's a, a growing black population. 
You've got more brown people in the country, people are, you know, more brown people, um, populations growing. And, you know, you've got a lot of white people in this country and certainly a lot of white people in power in this country who are afraid. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's getting black. It's getting brown. Oh, my goodness. You have a cross section of white people who think that way, who is who are now, oh, my God, you know, and they get just crazy. These people are as racist as hell who feel this way. Make no mistake about that, dear listener. Make no mistake about it. And that's also reflected in how this country votes, how white people in the United States vote. I keep telling you this. You have white women, many of whom continue to vote for the piece of garbage who ran in 2016 and ran in 2020 and lost the popular vote both times. And he's trying to run again now with all of these indictments, all of these lawsuits. There's a rape trial that's that's being held this month in New York. E. Jean Carroll, the TV host and, and writer and author uh, who, you know, said that she was raped by this piece of garbage in uh, in a department store in New York back in the 90s, I think it was. This guy has a, a, suit, a fraud suit against him, a business fraud suit that the New York State Attorney General, Tish James, has, you know, has uh, filed against him. There's a deposition for that that he's supposed to be at this week, this Thursday. It's a $250 million business fraud suit against it. I mean, this piece of garbage is a criminal. He's a criminal. Oh, innocent until proven guilty. I mean, the fact is this guy has so many suits again and so many actions against him. There is a situation in Georgia where you've got the, I believe the attorney general down there in Georgia who is expected to indict him regarding those phone calls that he made to the Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger back in 2021 there in Georgia. I mean, this guy is a criminal, okay? He's a criminal. He's a criminal. Don't forget, that's not also, we're not, I haven't even talked about January 6, 2021 and his role in that. And now that the former Vice President Mike Pence is going to be testifying about the events and about what happened vis-a-vis the piece of garbage. And now you've got these attorneys for the piece of garbage who are trying to fight Pence's ability to go ahead and testify. Oh, we're going to fight it. Ooh. I mean, this guy's a criminal. And you've got so many white people, white men and white women, continuing to vote for this piece of garbage. And white women play a big role in this. A huge role because they want some of that white patriarchy. Ooh, ooh, I want the patriarchy. Oh, oh my God, I want it. <laughs> Seriously, some of these folks think like this and it's reflected in the voting. It's reflected in the voting. The majority of white people didn't vote for Joe Biden in 2020. They didn't. The majority of white people didn't vote for Hillary Clinton in 2016. They didn't. In fact, you have to go back to 1992 for the last time a majority of white people voted for a Democratic presidential candidate. I'm serious. Most white people in this country voted for the piece of garbage. Voted for him twice. 
This guy is now twice impeached. He's indicted. He's been arrested. I mean, what is wrong with you all who vote for this piece of garbage? I think I know what's wrong with you. I think I know where your heart is. You are racist scumbags. This guy's never done anything positive in his whole entire life. And I'm telling you, your children will teach you a lesson because they will not vote for this garbage. It's you friggin' adults, especially many of these white friggin' adults, these friggin' white adults who continue to vote backwards, to vote for racism and misogyny and, and anti-LGBTQIA and anti-Semitism and anti-Islam and Muslim and anti all these things. That's what a lot of these white adults in this country do. Vote against Jewish people, black people, gay people, trans people, Muslim people. And this is Muslims. I mean, this is what these people are doing. This is what a lot. And the and again, I'm not just saying this. Look at the numbers. You had an increased number of white women voting for this piece of garbage who ran in 2020 on the Republican side. An increased number. And what I don't understand, by the way, is why on earth Democrats are trying to chase after 15% of a voting electorate. I don't understand it. It's going after suburban white women who are voting Republican. Stop wasting your time and start going after your base, which is the black base. That is your base in the Democratic Party, black voters, black female voters, especially black men as well, because over 91% of us voted for Joe Biden. But it's not just on the national level, it's on any level. We need to be voting in every election. Joy Reid is absolutely correct. Vote in every election. I don't care if you think the election is important or not. And as she said, vote out these Republicans. It doesn't matter if they're nice. It doesn't matter if they're mild-mannered. It doesn't matter if they're leaning toward the left of center as a Republican. It doesn't matter if they smile at you and they say something that you may occasionally agree with. You have to vote all of these people out. You have to. The whole party needs to go. I don't care that there's one Republican that's done something good. You have to get rid of all of these people at the ballot box. You have to vote them all out. Same thing with Cheney. That includes, and I know Joe, Joy Reid didn't say this, but I'm saying it. That includes Cheney. That includes Liz Cheney. She votes. She voted with this piece of garbage 95% of the time. I don't care that she was on the January 6th committee. I don't care that she was on that committee. Could care less. She has to go as well. All of them do. Adam Kinzinger, now he already left. And uh, Liz Cheney is no longer in Congress. But she's going to run for president. I'll bet you anything she does. Bet you anything. You need to vote these people out. I don't care how nice you think they are. You don't vote for people because they're nice. You vote for people because they're going to do your bidding, because they're going to vote in support of your issues that you care about, not because they can smile at you or because they're well-dressed or they've got an accent or you think you can have a beer with them. That's not how this freaking works. 
This is about your life. This is about our lives. This is about your children's lives. This is about your life. Cares about whether you can have a beer with these people or not. Or how nice they may look to you. Or they may have a certain look to them that you like. It's about their policies and what they believe in. And these people, whether it's Liz Cheney or whether it's someone as extreme as, you know, name them, MTG. They all don't have your best interest at heart on the Republican side. These people are disgusting. And I don't see any daylight of difference between MTG and Liz Cheney. When Liz Cheney votes 95% of the time with the impeached piece of garbage, what difference does, is that really? She may not be this blatant racist that MTG is, but what I know is this, both MTG and Liz Cheney, when she was in Congress, they voted with that piece of garbage. And certainly if MTG wasn't yet in Congress, and I don't think she was when the piece of garbage was in, but the fact is she espouses all of those views. So there's really no daylight worth a difference between the two of them. What, because one of them sat on January 6th committee and said, oh, we have to do this, when for years she was voting against things that are against your and my interest? She voted against abortion care? Are you kidding me? So now all of a sudden one stint on a freaking committee erases that for you? Come on, man. Damn, you will allow, people will allow anything from these folks. Oh, well, she did sit on that committee and she's doing a great job. I mean, all that kind of chatter and that kind of talk is all garbage. It's all designed to manipulate you. At least I think so. Oh, she sat on the committee. Now she's the Avenger. Even though for her, her even though her ass voted against you for years and years and years in Congress. And now one freaking thing, and you all, not you, dear listener, but you proverbially are now gonna vote and now jump and jump and jump up and down for her and cheerlead her for one friggin' thing. I assure you the Republicans don't do that when a Democrat does something they agree with. They don't jump up, jump up and down. They don't. They continue to do what they do, which is put these oppressive policies in place. And so Joy Reid is 100%. We have to go out and vote in every election. I don't care if you think it's an election that's insignificant. I don't care if it's, if it's an election to give you different shoelaces. I don't care what the damn thing is. You need to be voting in it. You need to start approaching voting the way you approach a grocery shopping list. You have to check off everything on that list. You have to check off everything on that voting booth. Everything. Don't leave any, any of these uh, election races blank. Oh, I'm just going to vote on the top of the ticket. I'm not going to vote on anything else. That's stupid. You have allowed someone to vote for you. And as I said earlier, someone will stifle your voice twice. One, when you don't vote yourself. And two, when someone votes against you. So that's twice your voice is being canceled out. And it makes no sense to do something like that. You need to vote in every race down ballot, every single race on that ballot. As I said earlier, in a, not this episode, but earlier uh, this year in several episodes, I am going to hone in on voting and what we need to do. I've already talked about the kinds of things you need to be saying to people to educate them to vote. Friends of yours who you hear sitting there saying to you, well, uh, should I really vote? I heard these two, probably they were probably in their 
late teens, early 20s, these two women, one was Latina, one was white. And they were walking down the street here in San Francisco. And I, I was wearing the Vote t-shirt that I designed. And you can get that at the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store, the-politocrat.myshopify.com. And these two women, they were probably maybe 19, 20, 21. And they looked at my shirt and you could hear them talk to each other saying, oh, are you going to vote this time? Should we vote? And if, and if she was saying that to me, either one of them, I would have said, yes, you should. I was almost going, I was very close to answering them, but I decided not to. You should vote. If you're a person who is in your 20s listening to this, listening to me right now, and you've been having that similar question, you've been having a conversation with friends and you've been asking them, should we vote? Should we vote? The answer is yes, you should, you should. You should vote. You must vote. You must vote. And my gosh, don't talk yourself out of voting. Not only should you vote, you should get all your friends to vote. Because the things that these fascist Republicans are doing right now will affect your life. These people want to take away contraception, like Joy Reid says. There's no question about it. They're already taking away your right to choose. This is happening all over the country. It's not just on the federal level. It's in your backyard, which is why you need to vote locally. You need to get in touch with your local politicians. This is not a joke. Joy Reid is absolutely right. I'm glad that I played that audio. You may not have heard about that audio, but I happen to have stumbled across it. And you really need to replay that. I'm going to be playing you another audio clip. And again, I'll play it right after I sign off here. Follow yours truly on Twitter at the popcorn, R-E-E-L, and on Spoutable, Black-owned social media matters. And Spoutable is Black-owned. S-P-O-U-T-I-B-L-E dot com forward slash popcorn, R-E-E-L. Of course, I've told you about the store, the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store, the-politocrat.myshopify.com. And of course, this podcast, please share this podcast, subscribe to it, share it, download it, pass this podcast around to your friends and to your family. The Politocrat Daily Podcast is a podcast that invites you to think differently. News and information, issues of the day, conversation, interviews, and more. All of it here on a daily basis. Well, as daily as possible, put it that way. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It's been nearly 10 months since the end of Roe v. Wade and the beginning of abortion access falling solely under state control, with major developments in four states this week. In Idaho, the governor signed a controversial new law making it a felony for non-parent adults to help a minor cross state lines for an abortion, the first law of its kind nationwide. Planned Parenthood is slamming the measure as extreme, saying it will put young people in dangerous and isolating situations. What would you say to critics who call this unnecessarily cruel? I think, again, it's important that we protect the life of the unborn child. When it comes to minors, 
what the legislation requires is uh, that parents essentially be informed. In Florida, protests and arrests after the state Senate passed the so-called Heartbeat Protection Act, reducing abortion access from 15 weeks to six. If you vote for this ban, things will get worse. Women will die. For 50 years, the killing of innocent children has been legal. Legal does not equate to right. It all comes amid a pair of victories for abortion rights advocates. In Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed a repeal of the state's abortion ban on the books since 1931. Abortion rights are now enshrined into our state constitution. And in Wisconsin, abortion was at the heart of Tuesday's high-stakes election for a seat on the state Supreme Court, now set to be filled by the liberal candidate, all but ensuring abortion access in the state. Wisconsin voters have made their voices heard. Yes. Tonight, several more states are considering legislation that would either expand or restrict access to abortions. Blaine Alexander, NBC News. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. We're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us, and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it, or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. <laughs> 